welcome, and it's good to see you here. If you have a Bible or device, I'm going to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. Christmas is about the birth of a baby who was given the name Jesus. He was and is the Son of God. It's a time of joy and gladness and celebration. In this short series, we are looking at the reality that this birth didn't just happen 2,000 years ago that before the creation of the world, God had planned for his son to come into it. And if you go back in time, there was promise after promise after promise made about this coming Messiah. And today, may you understand that God is faithful to all his promises. Over 300 promises were made about this baby being born. And Mary, when she grasps that, that God is faithful to his promises, she erupts in worship, in joy, in celebration. And that's where we're going to be looking today. Uh, We began last week in our Christmas series in Nazareth, where uh, God, through an angel, appears to a young teen girl and says, okay, you know the one that your ancestors have been waiting for, the Messiah, the one from way back? You are going to conceive and you're going to give birth to a son. Mary, God has chosen you for this honor. And Mary is in Nazareth, and before she makes it to Bethlehem with Joseph, in between, she takes a visit to see her cousin Elizabeth. And it's there we're going to see today her joy and celebration when she gets that God is faithful to his promise as she erupts in what we know as the Magnificat, her song of praise. And here's the thing for you today. If you can understand that the same God who made those promises concerning the Messiah and fulfilled them is the same God who makes promises to you and will fulfill them. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, all of God's promises are yes in Jesus. Can God forgive you? Yes. Does God love you? Yes. Does God have a place called heaven that he's going to prepare a place for you? Yes. Are you going to get a glorified body? Yes. Are you going to live forever? Yes. And when you understand that God was faithful to his promise to send this Messiah, which means he'll be faithful to his promises concerning you, you too in this Christmas season will have a joy that the world can't touch. It can't take away at the depth of your soul. So before we begin, I just want to ask you, are you in the Christmas spirit? We ask each other, are you in the Christmas spirit? Oh, some of you, that's great. (laughs) We've got somebody in aisle number seven. Okay. Uh, I remember as a young teenager, uh, it hit me or maybe somebody instructed me, awakened me, uh, to the fact that, you know what? You should probably get your parents a gift for Christmas. How many young people, right? That day dawns, you're like, oh, they get me gifts. Maybe I should get them a gift. So I made my way to a department store called Woco. Anybody? Come on now. Woco department store uh, on Christmas Eve. Had to get a gift for my parents. I, I can't recall that I ever got something for my brother and sister at that time. I love them dearly, but I, I don't recall getting anything from them at that time. But So here I am, and I'm looking for a gift, 
And, uh, and someone comes on on the PA and says, the store's closing in five minutes. <laughs> it's Christmas Eve. I'm sweating buckets. I don't know what to get. I'm looking all around. And in the middle aisles, they would bring out tables, you know, with stuff. And I'm just like frantic. And lo and behold, there it is, the gift. It was a set of steak knives. <laughs> Who doesn't need steak knives? It wasn't a high-end set of steak knives, but they were steak knives nonetheless. I got those steak knives, I paid for them, and I remember after that thinking to myself, now I can celebrate Christmas, right? Hey, if you are giving and receiving gifts and that gets you in the Christmas spirit, way to go. If you like festive music, anybody, how does anybody do Christmas without the Amy Grant Christmas album? I don't know. But, but festive music, way to go. If you like maybe uh, you're getting some uh, Christmas cookie or something, baking, and that helps you, way to go. If, if you're getting together with family and friends, way to go. All of those things can put us in the Christmas spirit. But what we're talking about today is much deeper than that. It's something that's not contingent on those things. So maybe you're in the Christmas spirit here. Don't miss what's deeper. But maybe on the spectrum, you're not in the Christmas spirit because this Christmas is not going to be like other Christmas. You're missing someone. There's something just not right in your life. And, and you're just not about singing and just being holly and jolly. That's okay. That's understandable. But for you too, wherever you are on the spectrum, God wants to give you his joy. And so that's what we're looking at today. We're going to look at Mary's joy. We're going to look at her song. And may you, this Christmas season, echo what she says in her song. This plan of God leads to joy. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to be beginning in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. So Mary, if you, in the map of Israel, she's in the north in Nazareth, and she hears the news, you're the one chosen to give birth to the Messiah, the chosen one. She's a young girl of 15. She makes the journey to a, a town or a village outside of Jerusalem where her cousin resided. So she gets this exciting, well, this news, and for four days, it's a four-day journey, she's probably just processing all of what's going on. This young teen girl. Now, why would she go to Elizabeth, her cousin? It's because Elizabeth might be the only one that she could share this with that might understand what just happened to her. Right? In fairness to her parents, she would have loved her parents, but coming to your parents, you're a teen girl in this small village and saying, hey, mom and dad, I got some news. An angel visited me. I'm going to give birth to a son. I'm still a virgin, and he's going to be the son of God. Mary, have you finished your chores yet? Okay, it's just like, whoa. But Elizabeth was, uh, Mary was given a, a, an assurance. Mary, this unbelievable thing that is happening to you, there's something else unbelievable that's happening. God is at work somewhere else in your cousin Elizabeth. She was barren. She's older. But she too is going to have a child. So Mary thinks, I'm going to go and see her. So she makes this journey. And Luke doesn't tell us the 70-mile, 110-kilometer journey from Nazareth to outside the hill country of Jerusalem doesn't tell us if anybody accompanied her, accompanied her if uh, it does, Luke doesn't tell us 
uh, what the name of the town was because he would have interviewed Mary about all these details. He doesn't tell us that, but what he wants us to know and grasp is that Mary was excited. There is something happening in the plan of God. So what is Elizabeth's response? Mary greets her, verse 41. So Mary walks in and greets her. Verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke gives us these details from Mary that when they saw each other, Elizabeth's baby leaped in the womb. Okay, how many of you women, if you've had a child, you've felt the baby kick? Okay, I'm not sure about leaping. This is all, it's all foreign to me, but, but leaping. Uh, so, wow, this baby's going crazy with Mary there, with what's about to happen to Mary. Secondly, we're told that Elizabeth is full of the Holy Spirit, that she, God is working in her life. Verse 42, in a loud voice, she, Elizabeth, exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Just imagine this encounter. It's, it, there's, it's about blessing. It's about joy. It's about gladness. Mary, you are blessed. Your baby that you're carrying is blessed. Now, I want to pause for just a moment here. Mary... Is to be honored. She was an honorable young teen girl who followed God. She's to be honored. She had the role in redemptive history of bearing the Son of God. She's to be honored. But we are not to revere Mary. We're not to deify Mary because Mary is a human being just like me, you and me. She's a fallen person who needs a savior. In other words, Mary is a recipient of God's grace, like you and I are, not a dispenser of God's grace. She would come to salvation. She would be given this announcement that she's going to carry the Son of God, not because of any merit in her. It's simply because of God's goodness to her, her grace, similarly with us. So Mary, we honor her but we don't deify her. And that's why we really shouldn't pray to Mary. We shouldn't have a statue. If you have a statue, like, if it helps you with, you know, to, to get your eyes on Jesus, okay. But it's, when anything is added to Scripture, we run into problems, okay. So we honor Mary. Blessed are you, Mary. Blessed is your child. And then notice, wow, I can't believe that you're visiting me because you're the mother of what? My Lord. This is an early expression of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The one born 2,000 years ago is not only come into this world as our Savior, He saves us from our sins, but He is our ruler. He is the Lord. He is God, our Creator. He is God Almighty. And she recognizes that even at this point. And then, again, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Again, mothers, uh, just out of curiosity, have you ever felt that your baby, uh, it was a, a leap of joy? I'm not going to go down there. I don't know too much about that, but I'm just like, okay, I know there's a kick, but this is a leap for joy. And then Elizabeth continues, blessed is she, blessed are you, Mary, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary, God told you you were going to conceive and give birth to a son, and you believed it as hard as it was. 
Blessed are you. Blessed are you for understanding and recognizing that God will fulfill his promises to you. So Mary and Elizabeth meet, and it's more than just a happy family reunion, these two cousins. It's both of them understand God is at work here. This Messiah that was promised, it's coming to pass. And Mary then explodes in what's known as the Magnificat, the Song of Mary. So let's walk through this and please notice Mary's song of joy. Notice that she, what she sings about. Okay. She's going to sing about God, but notice what she sings about with God. So let's look at this song. Verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. I mean, people are going to remember me because of what God has done. But notice she's singing about the love of God. Why did God promise to send a Messiah, a Savior, into the world? Because he's a God of love. I'm loving you. I want to save you. When Mary says, my Savior, again, the Deliverer was sent because God loves her. He loves us. So she's exploding in worship at the reality that, she, uh, that God is a God of love, that he's promised to send this one, and he's, he's about to come. But also notice the word mindful. He's not only, oh, he's the God who, who's sending the Savior. He loves us, but he loves me. He's mindful of me. We all, all of us here, we're all created to be seen, known, and loved. And the reality is, God sees you, God knows you, and God loves you. When you really grab that, there's going to be a joy in your, in your bottom of your soul. Mary, she can't believe that God would see her and know her. Again, she was a nobody, no social, social standing, no economic standing. In fact, she was from Nazareth kind of a despised place. She was a nobody in Nowhereville, and this God saw her and was going to use her. Just before we move on, do you understand that whenever you have a thought that God doesn't care about someone like you, you need to bring truth to that. It will free you. That's a lie that God doesn't see you, know you, and love you. You need to daily bring truth. Oh, look at all the bad things happening in my life. God doesn't, he doesn't love me. He doesn't care for me. He doesn't even know what's going on. That's a lie. And Mary realized, oh, he's mindful of me. She's singing of his love. She continues in her song, verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Oh, she sings about the power of God and his might. Oh, he's the God of the impossible. He's the God who keeps his word. She sings about his holiness, the God who has no other rival. He alone is worthy of worship. He alone is other. He's holy. He's set apart from everything else in creation. He's set apart from sin. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. She sings of his holiness. She sings of his mercy. Oh God, you're the God who forgives and you care. And not only just for me, but from generation to generation. God, your mercy never runs out. Anybody here today, you're just grateful God's mercy never runs out? His mercies are new every morning. She continues to sing. 
Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. Again, arm symbolizing strength. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. She sings about his sovereignty. God, the proud, those in power who don't know you. You bring them down and the humble you exalt do you understand that that God because of who he is if someone is proud and arrogant and self-sufficient and doesn't need God in their life God can't bless that he has to bring them down but the person who is humble poor in spirit. God, I need you. Without you, I am nothing. My life is nothing. God, you're my hope. God will lift up. God does that, lifting and setting down because he's sovereign over all he has made. But also notice she sings not only about his sovereignty, but his goodness. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Now, when he's talking about the rich, he's not talking about people with money. He's talking about people with money, but they're like the fool in Luke 12 who think all the money is their money and they're not rich toward God. I've done all this. This is all mine. And they're not rich towards God. And Mary says, and she sings, oh God, he sends them away empty. And it's not just for all eternity. If I live my life without God, I'm going to be empty, but it's even in the here and now. Because of who God is, he can't fill people that are rich, that have no need of him. Oh, yes, I can get rich. And young people, you can chase riches, you can chase fame, you can chase worldly pleasures, you can chase all kinds of things, and they'll give you a temporary little jolt. Oh, that's great, that's exciting. But you'll still be missing something. Because you weren't created for anything you can see. You were created for God. And until you, he's your treasure, you're going to be empty through life. You'll be chasing things, trying to always get that feeling. He sends them away empty. But the poor, the humble, oh, God fills them. I want to ask you, has God filled you with himself? Do you, do you embrace the reality that with God, I really, I'd like all kinds of different things, but with God, I've got enough He's my sufficiency, my treasure, his goodness. So Mary sings about that as well. Now I want to pause just for a moment here. This is a 15-year-old girl, and these lyrics um, have depth to them. Do they not? Someone was saying, what was that? Oh, yeah. Someone was saying about worship songs today. We've got to be careful um, to make sure they've, they've got lyrical depth, that they're in line with scripture, you know, the, um, oh, Jesus, Jesus, you're terrific for you. I'd swim the Pacific. Yeah, 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 baby. Something like that, right? Okay. Probably not the best song to sing. But this song, do you see the depth there? God, you're like this. God, you're like this. God, you're like this. Where did that 15-year-old girl come up with it? It's because she was raised to know the true and living God in her culture, 
They knew the Torah. They were exposed to it. They knew there was one God. And so the children were taught. Just a note to all you parents. We live in a, in a really a godless society where there's no fear of God. And if your kids aren't hearing about God from you, they're not going to hear it in many places. And that's why, parents, you need to bring your kids to Sunday school so they can hear it here. We want to come alongside you and reinforce it so that your child can know this true God. Again, when you understand who God is, when you magnify him, it's going to lead to joy. Culture says if you minimize God, it's going to lead to joy. It doesn't work that way. You want your kids to be whole? You want shalom in their lives? Little by little, you're telling them about God. And you don't have to be a, a, a scholar, a theologian, but you're just like, did you know the Bible says God is love? Did you know that the Bible says God's in control of all things? And little by little with your kids or your grandkids, you're getting that truth because just like Mary, as she's going that four-day journey to see her cousin, she's processing all the scriptures she has learned and oh, that God in your child's life, your child might even be away from God right now, but if they've heard scripture, God can still use that. So it's important that we teach our children about the Bible. She knew her Bible. Now, it's interesting Jesus would come along later and say the same thing. He says, oh, let me tell you, in Matthew 23, th those that exalt themselves, they're going to be humbled. Those that humble themselves, they're going to be exalted. He says in Mark chapter 10, hey, you know the world, you look around, everybody's clamoring for power, everybody wants people to know them, and they're fighting to, you know, to, to call the shots. He says, if you want to be great in my kingdom, it's an upside-down kingdom, you're going to serve interesting. What Mary is saying is what Jesus said, and in her song there's echoes uh, back to Genesis and Deuteronomy and Isaiah and Zephaniah and the Psalms, and even uh, you can find Hannah's song in 1 Samuel 2. Mary has echoes of Hannah's song. It's because the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He's the same God. We are worshiping the same God that Mary worshiped. So she sings about his sovereignty, she sings about his goodness, and then she sings about his faithfulness as she closes her song. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So Mary went there knowing that her cousin was six months pregnant Three more months, nine months, probably when John was born, then Mary would go back to Nazareth. But notice now how she ends her song, that this God remembers his promises. He remembered, and she goes all the way back to the promise made to Abraham, that he remembers that promise to Abraham and his descendants. Who are Abraham's descendants? That's you and me. That God remembers, he's faithful to all of his promises. I want to take a moment here and walk through just a few of these promises that God made about this baby that would be born in a manger. These promises are about a Messiah in Hebrew is Meshuach, and, and so the people would await, they were longing for this Messiah to come. And in scripture, you've probably heard or maybe you haven't heard, there are about 300 promises concerning this child. And for one person, to fulfill even eight of these is statistically, the, it's almost impossible. The number's too high. 
And Jesus didn't just accidentally fulfill them. Oh, he just happened to be uh, born in Bethlehem. And oh, he just happened to go off to Egypt. No, those were all under the, the sovereign hand of a God working out his plan. So I'd like to walk through the 300 promises about the Messiah at this time. Let's look at 10. Okay, the first one, the Messiah would defeat the evil one. God creates the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, created in, in, uh, as humans. They're given the choice to, to love him or not love him. They choose to sin. And as a result of the sin, there's consequences. But God so loved the world. He so loved this broken world. He so loved you that he said, I'm not going to leave it this way. My plan is, is that I would send someone to rescue, to save, to deliver. And so in Genesis 3.15, we find what's called the proto-euangelion. Proto is the first and good news, euangelion. It's the first announcement of the good news that God's going to do something for us. And uh, in Genesis 3.15... Uh, God says that through the line of the woman, someone's going to come that's going to crush the head of the evil one. Yes, the, the evil one will strike his heel. We see that in the crucifixion. But this one that's coming will crush evil, will crush Satan. He will defeat the evil one. Another prophecy, Genesis 12, the Messiah would be a descendant of Abraham. So God makes that promise for years they're waiting, and then God comes to Abraham. Abraham, uh, I want you to play a part in my plan. Abraham, you're going to be the father of a great nation, and it's from your descendants that all of the earth will be blessed. All of the nations will be blessed. He's talking about this promised Messiah coming. Then uh, third one, the Messiah would be a descendant of David. So another thousand years after Abraham, then to David. God promises David, who's the second king of Israel, says there's coming someone in your line um, that's going to rule and reign forever. Descendant of David. That's why you find, if you're reading one of the Gospels, when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, the, the, the writers connect the dots for us. That's why when you read, oh, and so-and-so was a descendant of David, and you're like, why are they telling us that he was a descendant of David? And then, then they'll write, Matthew will write, all this took place to fulfill what the prophet said. They're connecting the dots. Hey, promise made, promise kept. So he would be a descendant of David. Number four, the Messiah would be preceded by a messenger preparing the way, Malachi, right? That, that Elijah's coming and, and John the Baptist came in the spirit and character of Elijah. Number five, the Messiah would be born of a virgin. That's Isaiah. Uh, number six, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth. How's he going to be born in, Math in Bethlehem? Sovereign God working out his plan. Number seven, the Messiah would be called out of Egypt. Hosea uh, uh, prophesied that. Isaiah, the Messiah would be the great light. And on and on it goes about the, the birth and the life of, of the Messiah. Daniel says he will be the son of man. Isaiah said he will perform signs of healing. Zechariah said he will come riding on a donkey. He also said that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. So you see all these prophecies and, and all the gospel writers say, see, it was fulfilled. See, it was fulfilled. See, it was fulfilled. And Mary understands that. God keeps all of his promises. Not only promises about the, the birth and the life of the Messiah, but also the death of the Messiah. Isaiah 53 in particular, the Messiah would bear our sins and suffer in our place. In a couple places in the Psalms, it talks about that he, this Messiah would be forsaken and pierced, that he would be the rejected cornerstone. And then prophecies about his resurrection. The Messiah would not remain dead, but be raised to life 
and exalted. So they were waiting and waiting for this Messiah. They were a conquered people under Rome, and they were waiting for this one that would be a king that would deliver them, that his kingdom would be one of peace and righteousness. And so they were waiting. What is interesting is that there was a messianic fever, or fever, yeah, too much COVID on my mind here. There was a messianic fervor regarding the Messiah. If you look at writings outside of the Bible in what's called the intertestamental times, so the Old Testament was um, finished, and before the New Testament started, before God continued working out his plan in a specific way, there's 400 years, that's the intertestamental time, and in that time there's outside writings about a Messiah that would come, and they were waiting for a Messiah. Everybody was waiting for the Messiah, and we have writings, and that's why we know that Jesus wasn't the only one claiming to be the Messiah. There were a number of Messiahs. That there were these movements, and, and the Romans would say, oh, you're the Messiah? Okay, we're going to put you on a Roman cross. And then after that person was killed, then maybe their son or someone in the family would take up the movement. Oh, you're part of that movement? Oh, we'll put you on a cross too. And every single movement died. It ended. But there was one movement that kept going. The movement of this Jesus of Nazareth. That his followers said, he died, but he rose again the third day. And so there was this messianic uh, fervor that was all around them. And that's why Jesus, to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, I mean, from all accounts, she wasn't a religious person or she just, uh, she had some struggles in her life. And Jesus says, uh, he goes and he talks to her and he's showing his love and care for her. And she says to Jesus, well, I know we're talking about these things and I don't quite understand, but when the Messiah comes, he will explain everything. And Jesus said to her, the one you are looking at, I am he. And so Mary and Elizabeth both recognized that this messianic hope that their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, that they'd waited for for so long, God was now bringing to pass that he was going to fulfill his promise to send the Messiah. In fact, the Old Testament is one storyline just pointing to this coming Messiah, the one that would be born and placed in a manger. So, today, let's pause for a moment and honor Mary. Mary was an honorable woman. She had an honorable responsibility. But this Mary also had something else. She had a joy and a gladness. God keeps his promises. And 33 years later, her son would be on a Roman cross, roughly 33. And she would face, if you read the gospel, she would face certain things, but she kept persevering. She kept going. And we're told after the resurrection of Jesus, she was there still faithful to God because she knew this God could be trusted. She knew who he was. And it's the same thing in your life and my life. When you understand that this God who made all these promises about the Messiah, he fulfilled them, is the same God that made promises to you. He was sure then, he 
be sure today, he'll be sure tomorrow, that you can, despite what you're going through, wherever you are on the Christmas spirit spectrum, you can still have a song. And maybe this week, you need to sing Mary's song. You need to remind yourself about his goodness and his power and his might and that he's got a plan. The antidote, right, for despair and all of that, there's so many things that make that up, but it's really magnifying God, like Mary. My soul glorifies you. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. When you magnify, you make much of God. He's the focus. It leads to joy eventually. If you don't magnify God, if you're just hustling about Christmas spirit here, there, and everywhere, you'll have some happiness, but you won't have that true joy, that true Christmas spirit that God wants to give you. So this week, not sure what you're going through, but this week in your soul, would you say, oh my God, I glorify you. I rejoice in you. You're my greatest treasure. I love you.